0: Hey guys, this is Matt and this is Sean. Welcome to the show. We're meeting at the crossroads of wellness and sales in an attempt to share different mental, physical, and spiritual tactics to attain better results in your life of sales.
1: We're going to experiment, challenge, and discuss what may or may not work for you in hopes to push you to become the best version of yourself. Hope you enjoy today's show.
0: All right. We are live here with Andrew Foreman. The CEO and co-founder of Gives um, to talk to us a little bit today about kind of his world, going from investment banking to starting his own company. Uh, welcome to the show, Andrew. How are you? Welcome.
2: Thank you. Excited to be here. Uh, doing well, thanks. Doing well. Excited to chat through everything—mental health, physical health, or lack thereof.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you never experienced any of that where you uh, kind of started <laughs> off, but. Maybe to uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about you, give um, kind of a quick background on kind of your life and as it transitioned, whether you know from younger ages to investment banking to starting your own company, um, and then we'll go from there.
2: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, So I, 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 growing up, I was an athlete my my entire life. So passion was football. Thought I was going to be you know in the NFL until you know, 12 or whenever you realize that you're not gonna, not gonna make it. Um, I did play D three college ball. So that was fun, play football at Hamilton um, and, and, you know, physical and mental health was a big, big part of that. And trying to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you balance everything, even in college from working out practice through to schoolwork, et etc et cetera, yeah. um, and, uh, doing investment banking for six years, which is a long time to do investment banking, only a year and a half at the at the bulge bracket side of things, so very happy to chat through all of that. Uh, ended up going back to yeah. business school after a bunch of investment banking, went to HBS for two years, and after graduating there, started my own company that is now Gibbs. And we actually went through a full pivot at Gibbs, so I feel like I'm almost the second time founder at this point in time. And, uh, the grind of starting your own company is different than the grind of banking, but don't get it twisted. It is definitely still a grind. So excited to chat through all of that.
1: And six years of banking is really like 15 years with all the hours you put in each day.
2: Yeah. I think the first year and a half was, was probably about 15 years. And then the last four (laughs) and a half years was, was much, much better from a work-life balance perspective and just from an overall respect for myself and my peers perspective. But that first year and a half was really tough.
0: Yeah, I think um, it's interesting, right? We talk to a lot of sales-specific people and many of us go the path of software sales thinking, you know, thinking it's at least a little bit more of a work-life balance of, you know, going in and being able to have the potential to to, to earn a lot of dollars um, and put in some work but you know i think most people when you're going into the world of investment banking you know you have the opportunity to be incredibly successful financially but then you're also have the understanding of you're going to be putting in endless hours Your life. right yeah. um i can <laughs> honestly say i and i'm the i'm the youngest of 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 3 and all my two older brothers and dad were all in finance. And I quickly realized that that is not the path that I wanted to go. So I found the easy way out and in going into the software world. Um, but yeah, maybe we can like talk about that a little bit more, right? Cause you just hear these, I don't want to say horror stories, right? But you just, you get in, you're working, <laughs> you know, seven to seven's a good day for you. Right. So then, uh, you know, most of the days you're getting Thinking you're leaving the office at eight, 9, 10 o'clock, and someone comes in with a new project, and you're bogged down, and uh, like, walk us through a little bit of how you dealt with that, and you know, with trying to manage all the other aspects of your life, and some of the things you maybe took to overcome that. Because I know I couldn't honestly, and you survived. Here you are with us today.
2: Yeah, yeah. If, if surviving, if if throwing a Nerf football at a printer as hard as you can from two a.m. to three a.m. <laughs> You know, on a on a weekly Sounds basis, awesome. was 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 surviving. I guess I, I survived. No, it, the, the, you know that was the particularly bad times. But I would say that one some words that one of my uh, associates at the time, so an investment bank goes analyst, associate, VP, director, etc. So you come in as an analyst. And analysts are the ones who are supposed to be grinding till till the early morning uh, hours every single night and and you do uh and and then one of the associates who had come up through the through the analyst ranks he said to me at some point maybe four or five weeks in he said andrew the hope is what kills you (laughs) you can't you can't have hope that you're going to get out at eight nine ten o'clock like you were saying that's that's what'll kill you don't make plans don't tell your friends that you might be able to join them at the bar at 10 don't you know, the hope is what kills you, and that really stuck with me because he's like, just let it let it break you. You know, you're gonna stay here till three in the morning. Just assume that you're gonna be here at th- till three in the morning. If somehow, by some miracle, you can get out at 10 p.m., great, go ahead and do it. But you might get called back, and you never know. So, so just assume that you're here. 8 a.m. So seven to seven wasn't even on the table. It was 8 a.m. for me. It was 8 a.m. to about 3 a.m. Monday to Thursday Jeez. and then probably 8 a.m. to midnight 10 p.m. midnight on Fridays and then like 10 to 10 on Saturday and Sunday so those were the good old days I am a bit older than than folks would think but also uh, then <laughs> than the folks now I, I've heard it's lightened up at least a little bit from uh, from those kind of hours but but it, I do find it funny when people are like yeah like I put in a hundred hour week last week I'm like did you really? Because 12 hour days, seven days a week, isn't even a hundred hours. So are you sure that you put in a hundred hour week last week? Cause I know what it yeah. looks like and it's ugly.
1: Yeah. So how do you deal with that much, you know, compacted, um, sleep deprivation? Like what were people doing? How are you feeling? How are you staying awake on such limited sleep like that?
2: So people I, so I also to, to boot, I didn't drink coffee. So I was one of these people that like I was trying what? to trying to not oh. drink coffee. I, I still don't drink coffee to this day. Um, there were there were times during that year I drank more coffee that year than than I ever have in my entire life. Obviously, there was okay. some nights where I had to pull all nighters, and so I would drink coffee to try to stay awake the next day. But for me, I would get I lived eight blocks from my from my office so that I knew, cause I knew that I needed to get as much sleep as I could. So I'd run home like 3 AM uh, and then, you know, get back to the office by eight. And so I'd get four hours of sleep, which was honestly better than most people were doing. Um, and people would just come in as absolute zombies. It was, there was, yeah. there was this phenomenon of not getting a lot of work done during the day and then trying to, people would drink, I guess, coffee during the day and then come alive at night when we had to do most of our work anyway, these higher ups would drop stuff on our desk at 6 PM be like, have this on our desk by 8 AM tomorrow morning. And that's when a majority of the work would start to get done.
0: So a lot of the stuff that we talk about is kind of going against the typical grain of what a salesperson talks about and deals with, right? Whether it's your mental health or doing certain things that, uh, are, whether it's yoga and meditation, you know, talking to an older sales rep about that, mm-hmm. they'd probably look down on you, right? And I think it's interesting because we have more and more people that we work with and and are saying it's, it's, it's a part of what they do moving forward with their teams. And one of the things we talked about last week with you was you did something that was a little bit against the status quo that I'm sure uh, you might've gotten some crap for, but would love for you to share a little bit about one of the things you did that was different and not to say everyone else joined you, but tell, tell our listeners a little bit about one of the things you did to focus on your at least physical and mental health for that matter.
2: Yeah. So I actually went to the HR department at bank of America and said, Hey, like, can we, I think it would be a great team building exercise. Also, I think people need to let out some steam. I can get late basketball games. If we could sponsor a, a, a work league, you know, basketball league, and uh, a team just in in New York urban social whatever whatever they they've all kind of merged at this point. But fifteen years ago, I think it was New York urban basketball league, and so we signed up a team as Bank of America. Requested all nine fifteen p.m. games. I went to the nine fifteen games, and the first game, my coworkers all went with me, <laughs> and we went to the game. We actually some of us went back to the office after. Um, you know, to to finish up any work that we had, but we played basketball for an hour from nine fifteen to ten fifteen. It was a really good team building exercise and yeah. <clears throat> a much needed, you know, outlet from you know actually sitting at your desk for for such long hours of day in day out. And so that was something that immediately upon the first game, I came back to the office and there were there were some people that were saying like, Hey, you know, where have you been? Oh, I thought you left for the night oh you know giving you a little bit of ribbing which was interesting to say the least but i did not care i knew that it was either that or pelting the printer with Nerf footballs and i'll take playing basketball any day so so that was that was awesome the second game i had a real struggle getting getting anybody else to join me so it was basically a bunch of my friends who played basketball with me every week um and uh and we were way too, and then and then that led to us being way too good for the work league because it was my friends who played basketball at Hamilton, <laughs> and they that was like not really fair. So that was um, that was pretty funny.
0: I, I love that though. I mean, it was a little bit of like, you know, what I'm probably going to get some shit for this, yeah, from internally Definitely. and you know, for the future. You're like, this is what's important to me to some degree. And again, you kind of wish it would have turned into the rest of the team members being able to join all the time, but. I kind of like that. It's just like, hey, I need this.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Good good leadership as I did take charge there.
2: As as I did, so the second game nobody joined me. But then as the season got later and later, people started to come back. They realized that like, hey, Andrew's doing it. He's not getting fired. You know, he's not getting fired. And it actually (laughs) was really fun. And I need an outlet. And people started to come back and join me. um, You know, towards towards the end of the season, so it was pretty cool.
1: So when, when you first proposed, who, who gave, gave you the first pushback when, you know, you started this league, you come in, you got this idea, was it your boss, was it other people that kind of were saying, all right, we, we you know, your, your colleagues that got into it, um, how soon did you get that first pushback, like from your leadership, and, and how'd, you, how'd you deal with that?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. So when I came back it was 10:15. So all of, like the leadership leadership was gone. It was really just the analysts and associates at that point that were still there. <laughs> so it was the associates that are sort of your boss that it's like sometimes they're your boss, yeah. if they're staffed on a deal with mm-hmm. you, sometimes they're not. So, you know, it was just more of like a judgment kind of zone and uh, and the associates <laughs> were all like, you know, hey, we didn't do this when we were analysts. So you shouldn't get to do it when you're an analyst. And I think that's one of the biggest stuck in the mud feelings that, that investment banking Mm -hmm. has to overcome, which is like, Hey, I went through this crazy long hours. So you have to go through it. It's this rite of passage thinking that I think is really broken. And and hopefully they're trying to fix now.
1: And it's kind of like the medical profession, right? Where the doctors are Wearing, in my residency, I stayed up for three days in a row, pulling right. all these shifts. <laughs> right. and it's Kind of like you, you got, you you got to do that. And then when you when you start to look at it from this point of view now, you're going, this is really stupid. And my question to you too is like during these eight, 8 a.m. to three a.m., how much work are you actually doing versus that's... just dicking around? Like I'm, I'm in the office, so I think I'm working because that's a big piece now that when we talk to people about this concept of deep work, you know, really in a day that long, you're probably only doing, you know, a couple hours and you're just wasting all this time in between. So how much true work do you think you were getting done?
2: Absolutely. There was no reason to, to be in there that long. I think the combination of, yeah, the deep work piece that's coming out now that I'm still, I'm still learning about is, is yeah, there's no way that, anybody was doing any deep work for any amount of time given that you had four hours of sleep every single night you couldn't concentrate right. and, yeah. <laughs> and and be be efficient at, at all at any point during during this time um i mean listen being there for that long you do learn a ton right i don't want this to become just a absolute sure. you know trash talking what what was going on there i yeah. do think that it was super inefficient i do know that at 2 a.m i'd Talk to my friend and say, "Hey, what are you working on?" He's like, "I'm updating this 68-page deck so that it's ready in the morning." And I'm like, "I'm updating the same exact 68-page deck." <laughs> and I'm like, "How is that? Like, how do we not like we sit two di- two rows from each other? How do you not know that we're both working on that same thing and like split it up and we could have been done in half the time?" But like our bosses wouldn't have even been happy with that. We actually that was another thing that we pioneered where we said, as an analyst class, we said, "Hey." This thing, so after that, I I said, hey, something, this is ridiculous. We're both sitting here from midnight to 3 a.m. updating the same exact deck. Why don't we just assign one person? Updating this deck was like a whole whole deal. Why don't we just assign one person? Your week is messed up, (laughs) to say the least. But every, you know, we have 12 analysts. Once every three months now, you're the person for a week who updates that deck every night and like yeah you get 3 hours of extra work and it if you were in deep work i'm sure you could do it in an hour but in the state of mind that we were at it took us 3 hours to do it <laughs> and you could and and like yeah you had those 3 hours of extra work every single day but at least you knew that that was your week and then you wouldn't have to do it for 11 weeks right like that and and we yeah. implemented that system yeah. and we got pushback from management on that they were like no like if i if i'm you know if if I need this deck, I want my analyst, who's working with me, to do it. I don't want somebody else to do it. And I was like, that just blew my mind.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think too, like you said, a lot of it is probably the the rite of passage. It's the expectation. Totally. It's the I had to do it, and my boss yeah. had to do it, and his boss, and so on and so forth. That yeah. nobody came up with the system before. Who's... So. Right. Yeah, and you can come up with, hey, I can find a way to make this 50%, 150%, 250% more efficient and probably it won't change anything, right? And I think even you implement a few more things and you're you're always going to find, upper manager will probably find reasons to make it harder. But I think the, the good takeaway, right, is as you either transition out of investment making like you do or maybe move up the ranks, you probably have a stronger mindset on, first off, for yourself, how can you work being completely deprived of sleep and caffeine and how do you work with others? So I think there's some advantages of like understanding how you work under incredible stress and how do you see coping. other people? Cause I'm sure you saw, all right, you got Sarah over there and she's crushing it. that 68 page deck, but you got Matt over here and he's struggling. He's not going to survive. So you kind of can start interpreting how other people deal and manage with certain things. And then you can kind of take all that again, knowledge. And then when you move on to your next thing for whatever that is, Leverage that to the positive, And that's where I, I kind of want to transition into to gives a little bit of, first off, if you can give a quick background on, on what that transition looked like and, and what you're doing sure. today, but then some of the things that you took from your six years of investment banking, again, some of the things that you can look at as negatives, but could turn into positives and what that really looked like. So capturing all of that, the transition to starting your own company, what that looked like, and some of the things you captured from your, your days in investment banking
2: yeah yeah a lot a lot to unpack on that side of things so i did you know the the full the full grind those like 8 to 3 a.m days that was just a year and a half and then um and then went to a boutique investment bank called portico capital that was only eight people at the time that i joined really a, okay. a 180 in terms of like, you know, hey, there were some 2 a.m. nights, but those 2 a.m. nights were warranted. I certainly wasn't just updating a deck that needed to be updated every day for no reason. So that was, right. you know, it was it was clear client services business, and, and when something needs to get done, something needs to get done, and, and you, you stay up all night to do it. And, and that's fine, but on nights that it wasn't, you know, it was normal. Like, yeah, you could leave at six. I could play basketball at lunch if I, you know, if I didn't have something to do. Right. Like it was like, it was a normal, uh, it was a relatively normal.
0: You could make plans and stick to them.
2: Yeah. You didn't have to hope wasn't the enemy. (laughs) You could, you could, you could do it. And so (laughs) I learned, I learned a ton, ton there too. And quite frankly, the investment banking grind for the first year and a half opened the door to that job for me, um, which I really, really, really enjoyed. And so that's just a positive in, in and of itself right there. I then went to business school recognizing that I wanted to get more on the entrepreneurial side of things. I, I thought I would join a startup. I didn't think I would start something on my own. Um, but at, during the two years at business school, they keep asking me, what are you going to do with this one and precious life? M- meanwhile I had started a nonprofit um, out of out of uh, my dorm room senior year of college. So. On the very rare <laughs> occasion, so during during the Bank of America time, it was very hard to find any time to work on that nonprofit. Luckily, the CEO of that nonprofit really she gets all the credit. She she did everything. I was just the treasurer, you know, mainly responsible for fundraising and um, and keeping the books. And so I would just do enough to skate by those first two years. When I finally went to Portico, I was able to. Take that experience a little bit to the next level. We applied for some competitions, got some grants, um, and uh, and just had a bit more of an impact. So that was that was a really interesting time. But I had friends who would want to Venmo me for the charity, and I'd say no, don't Venmo me. Use the website. And so ultimately, I I was sitting at business school saying like, how is there no Venmo for charity? And that's what I initially set out to build, and now it's turned into. You know like I said we tried that business model very hard to build a direct consumer business I have so much respect for anybody that has successfully done it or even remotely successfully done it Um, and and we now work with brands direct consumer brands in particular to enable them to do donation based incentives like hey spend a hundred bucks get $20 to give to a charity of your choice and that's what we're meant to be doing those incentives are super um, they, they convert extremely extremely well they're they're super enticing to to end customers and it doesn't dilute your brand like a discount does so we can get into what gives does and, and all that stuff later but the 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 important piece that I took away was hey if you if you're gonna start something from scratch or if you're if you're gonna work on something and put your all in it's going to be a grind Bank of America and and portico even to some extent I was able to, grind when i was there but when i wasn't i didn't think about it because i was like i know that it'll be here for me in the morning and i'll just i don't have to think about it gives is totally different i set my own schedule but there is not a moment of waking moment of any day and honestly i dream about gives probably two out of every three nights also i cannot get away from it it is it is a different type of grind that. that always, always thinking about it. I have to wake Some days I wake up and I'm like, wait, did we sign that client or did we not? <laughs> did I, did that, <laughs> did that fight happen or did it not? Like it is, I am dreaming about it pretty much every night. <laughs> it's pretty wild.
1: So where did the entrepreneur side come from? You mentioned you always had a passion for that. Is that something that you were doing early on? Like where did that, you know, within you come from?
2: So I don't know if you guys have had, uh, and and this is, could be an interesting topic as well, we did not talk about this last week, but if you had anybody from Vector Marketing or Cutco Knives, or if you guys did that right <laughs> way back when. Present. Yeah. <laughs> Present. Nice, nice. you sure did. Cut so, the penny.
1: Cut the penny. Cut the penny.
2: <laughs> do, you make, do you make a swan or a corkscrew or what?
1: I made a corkscrew and I had some cheesy-ass lime where I was like, and if I enter you into this, you could get a uh, some fucking free cruise, and and you we'll, we could open your bottle of champagne with this, and you know, that was the thing. So I had a real, real, real cheese dick sales manager, but yeah. So oh, remember that. that one. Still have the knives too.
0: They're
2: they're really good knives. I will say I was totally brainwashed. They are, so yeah. that was yeah that was before the summer before. Um, before college i uh i sold i sold Kako knives for 6 weeks but i sold a lot of knives in 6 weeks um and and then the next summer came back as a a branch manager a summer branch manager so i actually like everything from negotiating the lease to training a bunch of children <laughs> to sell knives um <laughs> and and uh and and go through and so we ran uh, I was an assistant manager or, I don't know, assistant to the manager or whatever. Um, uh, assistant manager on, <laughs> right, the, uh, <laughs> on, the, uh, on the number one East Coast uh, off branch, summer branch office. So very, very proud of that in 2005 that was- or whatever the heck that was. So very funny. I mean, yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's a good gig, though, for high school kids because, I mean, you're making way more money than you would – Working at freaking Chipotle or something like that. So I, I'll say for that that piece of it, the recruiting techniques and the way they teach you to sell is is, is kind of sleazy in some areas, but the, it's a good product. It works well, and you can yeah. make pretty good money if you do do it the right way.
2: Yeah, totally, um, definitely. <laughs> we sold sold a lot of knives, ended up making a lot of money. Have nothing but really good things to say about about that company. That was like my first foray into. And for me, personally, from a personal growth standpoint, doing sales like that opened my mind up, opened everything up for me, where it's like, hey, like, I used to be this shy kid. Um, you don't have to be that way anymore. <laughs> like, you, talking to people is fun. And this is actually like, I was, to- like I said, totally brainwashed still to this day. I think they're the best knives and you know, I think it's a good product. And there must be some margin in there if they're paying me fifty percent commission. But right. they, um, you know, like I, well, I didn't feel like I was selling snake snake oil.
1: It, and and I don't know if you read or heard about the the top guy that did it. I, I think he was I don't know if he was paying for seminary school or something like that. But one of the guys took it and started going to different businesses and was. Instead of selling it to you know calling up my my list of referrals and my old neighbors and stuff right. like that, they he was going to businesses and, and pitching it as this is a gift for employees and and just absolutely you know blew it up that way and made a ton of money, which I thought was super super smart to look at it differently and say well they're wanting us to sell direct to consumer, but why not make this B two B? So
2: I I remember I did one pitch at a Weichert Realtors. <laughs> I don't know if those even they, they even exist anymore, but yeah I was I was. <laughs> Similar vein, like you know, I was like, "Hey, every time somebody closes on a house, you should give them this uh, set of knives as a housewarming gift." But then, in some cultures, actually giving knives as a housewarming gift is very taboo. So, learned learned a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> tried tried a little bit of that, didn't make it work like this guy did. Um, but it was it was definitely the most money that you I, I made three times as much money selling knives in the summer than I did working at Merrill Lynch and in investment banking for the summer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's nuts. So yeah. that was
0: like your first intro to selling and kind of making some money. And did that just kind of get the gears moving of, all right, one day I want to start my own thing. Was was that the catalyst that, there?
2: That was exactly the catalyst. That was it. And, and I was like, you know, I don't know exactly what I want to start. I, I was a math and economics major, so not super creative, more on the analytics side of things. And I said, you know, I don't know that I have an idea that I'm passionate enough that I want to start. This was coming out of undergrad, so let me go into investment banking, which I can make the most money possible and open the most amount of doors possible. So that was kind of my thought process going through. Um, I don't think I knew... I, I didn't know about enterprise sales as a option. I. I now yeah. looking back at the signs, like people were like, "Yeah, you maybe should have done that <laughs> um, instead." Yeah. But uh, but but that was the path I chose. And then coming out of business school, realized that there was an opportunity to really do well and do good at the same time, which was something that sounds super cliche, but I had had been ingrained in me forever. Where I was like, "Hey, like, if I am gonna put, I have the capability to put eight a.m. to three a.m. hours in." right? And this was before kids, because now you do it in a different, in, in a different changes. way, but yeah. uh, changes. I, nope. <laughs> uh, but I, I have, I have the motor to do that. Can I put this as a force towards good instead of making money out of money or selling companies, you know, yeah. that, that, that are gonna, you know, make money. Can, can I do something yep. that really, really, really does good? And, um, and that's that's ultimately where it gives us more. I actually had a bit of that in my investment banking job at Portico. There was a company that we sold for over half a billion dollars, um, and they were doing real good. Like it was it was actual. I don't. I, we don't have to get into the specifics, but basically, like right. they were a yeah. bunch of you know, they were saving lives, and I was like, that's cool, right? Like, how can I do something? that is going to have a real impact and make a boatload of money doing it. There has to be a combo that that exists that you can do that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I was, maybe I was telling you um, the other day, I didn't know much about him, but it was really cool. Mr. Beast was on Joe Rogan and he's this crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, YouTube guy. And it was interesting because he was, the amount of time and effort he spent into understanding YouTube and what makes a video good or not. And the cool part was he takes every, essentially every dollar he makes and puts it back into building content, which is great and in and of itself, like he could be worth tens, hundreds of millions of dollars if he really wanted to. But the flip side is he's now taken his fame and said, you know, how can I do something good and, and impact the world? So he's taking his fame and all the money that he does make off of his own YouTube content to create, I think it was these, um, he lives out of North Carolina or South Carolina and has, um, essentially the, the ability to start giving away food and clothing and leveraging this to turn into, and as, he's like, yeah, I don't care about being rich. I mean, when I die, I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. And how can I take this? Right. And now I've got it in one state. How can I get it in 10 States and 50 States and out of the country to say, awesome. I'm loving what I'm doing. I, I'm making impact, you know, hopefully saving some money at the same time. And it was just really cool. Cause so much of what you see out there on social media today is the flash and doing this and the nice car house and whatnot. But having that being able to do both at the same time, I think is what I love hearing about you and and seeing, you know, some of the top paid YouTube people doing as well. It's just, it's just awesome. And it's just so easy to say, I want to sell a company for a billion dollars and be rich, but it's Mm -hmm. like having that thought and hearing you say that um, should hopefully inspire others. It's like, how can I, you know, do this, um, but also benefiting many other people at the same time. Um, I love.
2: Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's it, you. You need both sides of it. For me, I was always coming at it from the point of view of you need the money to be able to help people, right? You need to. If if you're not yeah. if you're not making money, it's not sustainable. So you need to be able to make money to to give money. Um, and that kind of all, even even going back to, to my high school days, I'll tell this story occasionally where, you know, uh, I had a high school girlfriend who would say, like, you know, the only thing we'd argue about is how do you have more of an impact? Do you go volunteer in the Peace Corps or, you know, that was her point of view, or do you go into investment banking, make enough money to fund the Peace Corps, right? Like that was, that was the argument that we'd have and you need both sides of that coin. And we weren't going to figure that out at, yep. at age 17. And you know, she goes into the Peace Corps right after college. I go into investment banking. We never spoke again, just close closed loop. But then I, um, <laughs> did investment banking and, uh, realized, like I'm not going to make nearly enough money to fund the Peace Corps at all, and so started that nonprofit on the on the side um, to yeah. actually feel like I'm having some sort of real impact. So um, that now I feel like we've I've finally gotten to a point where on the give side of things we're able to, by definition, if we end up selling gives for a billion dollars, we will have sent a hundred billion dollars to charity. That's that's by design um as to as to what as to what we're doing and what we're building
0: here it gives yeah and i love it too because it just gives a perspective of it's so easy for someone to look at investment bankers in wall street with this negative connotation and they just make you know there's always articles right about i think i saw on bloomberg today it was like uh bonuses on wall street went up 20 percent last year and you're like oh that's awful it, are there some people on one end of the spectrum that aren't going to do much of that? Sure. But are there people like you that are going to do great things? Yeah. Like, and that's true. And just outside of wall street, everything that we're doing today in selling software, there's going to be people who, who use that money for the greater good. And there's going to be people that spend it on dumb, superficial stuff. Um, so it's, Way it's the world. nice to hear like the, yeah, th- it, we're not going to change that today.
1: Yeah. And kind of going back to what you're saying of wanting to help people kind of make a difference and, the feeling you get from that. I think when you start to, when you're younger, you look at it just like, I got to make money. Uh, and then you get to a level where you go, whether I'm making, call it 100K or 500K, the difference between those two worlds is not that significantly different. Right? Not like you're making totally. 10, 50, 100 million dollars. That that changes the world. You start to realize, right. hmm, would I rather make 500K and kind of be unhappy or be working insane hours or would I rather make 100K where like, I'm still okay but I'm making a big difference and you know knowing the the laws of, of money is the more value I provide to more people the more money that will come back to me kind of knowing that concept like it's it's gonna work out but yeah not not looking at it in just dollar figures which was it's a, so easy to be focused on yeah and it was such a it was a fixation of mine for so long it was just money 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 dollar dollar dollars and then you start to realize yeah but you know what's the point if your day to day, which is where most of your time is spent, is miserable? It's just it's just an extra zero in your bank account that you don't even get to really enjoy.
2: Absolutely, and that's when and 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 that's why you know family changes the game. Having you know, having kids changes the game. Um, you know, that's to me that's that's the number one piece that that has shifted in my mind. Aside from you know, going from something that I wasn't as passionate about and sinking so many hours into it to now something that I'm extremely passionate about. That was the first big switch. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. And then I was pulling those hours myself, you know, just working on this business. But then when that first human life is dependent on you <laughs> uh, to, to keep them alive and, and you have that kid, it, it, you realize that you can't pull those hours. You, you can't, you can't slide through parenting like you slide through work you're you're going to regret yep. that in the in the yeah. long term so those those hours of work that I'm putting in at Bank of America that's not the type of time you want to be spending with your kids so i there's there's part of me that's like hey i need to get 8 hours of sleep so that i can work more productively but there's also a bigger part yeah. of me and sometimes the more convincing argument in my mind is i need to go get 8 hours of sleep so that i can be present with my kids after work or before work or whenever it is that I'm hanging out with them.
0: And it can be hard sometimes. I think, um, you, Matt and I talk about all the time, right? We, we both got married around the same time, had kids around the same time, and it puts your life into a completely different perspective of what you're focused on. And again, there's probably still a focus on that dollar number, but it's doing it not for yourself. It's doing it for your family and support and, and, protecting them and, and making sure you're good through the good times and the bad and, and what motivates and drives you to get up in the morning or to work out or to make sure you're in a good spot and making sure you're, you're being very transparent and open with, uh you know, your, your wife and having those conversations so they know when you're in good times or bad. Um, and then the great thing too is for us that I think are all wired pretty similarly, raising our kids in a similar way, right? And, and having them having focused on the right things earlier on, um, and how we parent too, uh, is also important. I mean, I can, I'm sure I forget how old your kids are, but it's like the amount of times where you just lose a little bit of the patience and then you take a step back and you're like, all right, all right, my son's three, right, three years right old. Now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't be mad. Like uh, someone said it the other day where it's like for a lot of kids, right. When they get upset about something, it's at that point, that could be the hardest thing they've ever done in their entire lives. Yeah. Right. Losing that yeah. toy and you're like, Liam, yeah. you just lost a toy, but you're like, all right, that was really hard. And, you know, the next time I lose it, not as bad. Yeah. We've right. already been through some of those experiences. Um, and being able to just like focus on that, I think work life balance and your family and making sure that's that's number one um, is important. But being able to start a company and, and give back and, and do great for the world all at the same time for you, showing that that's possible. Yes, you had a foundation of working your frickin' butt off and most. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs do, um, and you go through a shift of this is what we thought we we're going to do, and we pivoted over here. Um, it takes it takes a lot of grind to to get there, but it's I love seeing your success, and it's just really cool to be able to talk to someone like you that uh, is is doing it while being transparent about you got to make some of the money to give back versus just thinking about it all like you know rainbows and unicorns and it's all yeah. pretty imperfect but it's mm-hmm. not.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And yes, my kids are one in three. So the, the yeah. urge to get mad at them <laughs> when they're like, yeah. Okay. I stopped blowing bubbles. I was blowing bubbles for like 30 minutes. This is, you're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yes, that is definitely, definitely funny.
1: And I think the other piece too is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, well, I just pick a money path and I work my ass off, or I just pick this path. It's like, no, 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 no. You can have, you can have all of the above. You can have, you know, a good, good work-life balance, good family. You can make good money if you structure it the right way. And I think that's that's important too, especially with technology we're enabled with nowadays and the ways we can do our work and 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 broaden the reach, things like that. Like, you can still make very good money. If you, and, and oftentimes you'll make even more money when you're focusing on being a good person and bringing value to other people. Yeah. Cause that's what brings that money back to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You enjoy I think it. And it motivates you, you. you. And like you said, you're, yeah. you're always dreaming about the company you build versus again, like I think you said it perfectly, right? I know that 8am tomorrow, make America is still going to be there, right? Like I don't yeah. need to think about it in my off time versus uh, it, it's something you said resonated right well, where, we get so ingrained sometimes on our side of, of, uh, being in sales where it's an opportunity that's into the quarter and you think about it so much. And I don't know about you, where there's yes. been multiple times where I've had dreams about opportunities <laughs> where I, I've woken up and read an email in the middle of the night, woken up and it was a signed contract and I woke up and I was like, did I dream of that? And I was like, Oh, it actually happened. We had another good friend of ours who he spoke about this opportunity so frequently around his family, putting things into perspective to where who is daughter, or son went to school and said, you know, what does your dad do? Her response was works at this company when he didn't work at that company at all. Right. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, like that's taken over your life a little bit, but you, you can get ingrained and it can be tough where it's just an opportunity, but for you to be able to do that and have that passion about building something, that's where it's just so much fun. And that's where people to, on the highest extent, right. Say, how does Elon Musk do it? All these different companies. Cause he has that passion and wants to build it. And when you care about something so much, you can do crazy things and pull off crazy yeah. hours, but then be efficient at the same time, where you still have your time for your family. Um, that will then again continue to drive that motivation to to do greater good for the world. So,
2: yep, that's it. That is um, that is it.
0: I think uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty good point to kind of wrap it up here. Um, I think so much of What you've learned and shared with us, I think, going from the world of investment banking to kind of pushing against the status quo a little bit with, uh, you know, playing a little bit basketball to to go into business school, to starting your own company and all those certain things. um, I know I've definitely learned a lot and and I know a bunch of our listeners will appreciate that uh, on how they can kind of think about their world a little bit differently, um, given what you've gone through, too. Um, for for any of our listeners um, who are interested in living, learning a little bit more about Gives or wanting to reach out to you, what would uh, what would be a good way to kind of touch base with you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm open on, on Twitter, a 22 but really, Andrew at Gives.com. So A-N-D-R-E-W at G-I-V-Z.com. Just shoot me an email and put optimized sales in the in the subject line. Please feel free to email me. I'm an open book um and we'll we'll get back to you um and you can always reach out gives.com, givz.com um to to check us out and i i need to i need to make sure that when we are ramping up a sales organization we have folks like you who are dreaming about the (laughs) dreaming about the deals just like i am because that uh that's really exciting and i think that's coming down the pike for us here soon we just um we just Finished up, uh, you know, a real, not even MVP at this point, like a really grade A product on, on the Shopify side of things. So any Shopify retailers that are selling anything online, uh, this is a click of a button way to increase average order value, increase um, conversion rate all while doing good. It works. You know, you try the free trial, you'll see that it works and then you can feel great about making more money yourself. So that's the, uh, the basic pitch there just to weave that in here at the end. But, uh, thank you. Thanks so much for, um, for having me on. It's been, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys.
0: We appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, I feel bad that I was the only guy here that didn't sell Cutco knives, but I feel like I need to go buy myself a set. So
1: You can always sign back up. (laughs) There you go. uh, best, Best of luck to you, Andrew. Love what you're doing here, and thanks again for joining. Thanks, guys. Thanks.